This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. When Jared Drinkwater first joined BSN Sports, the company was still sending out physical catalogs to schools in an attempt to sell its products. As a veteran marketer with experience at PepsiCo and Pizza Hut, Jared knew it was time for BSN to go through a digital transformation. As the CMO of BSN Sports, Jared has been able to lead that transformation, and it's making an impact at the heart of the sports world at the high school level. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Jared shares how BSN Sports is making waves at the amateur level thanks to the evolution of its email marketing efforts. Plus, he explains why telling the right stories in the right place makes all the difference. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by a special guest. Jared, how are you? I'm doing great, Ian. How are you doing? Great to have you on the show. Excited to talk about BSN Sports and your background. So let's get into it. How did you get started in marketing in the first place? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I grew up in Boston and my first job in high school was at a big souvenir store at Fenway Park. Big baseball fan. And uh, it was uh, uh, an awesome summer job. And everyone that starts there for the first time kind of gets thrown into what they called uh, the fiddle, which was the middle of the store. And this store was jam-packed. It sold hats and t-shirts and Pretty much the entire stadium would go in there before games and after games. And I got stuck in, in the fiddle, which was basically like all these trinkets and souvenirs. And it was kind of boring, to be honest. And so tried to figure out how I could compete against my, my counterparts who were selling all the cool things. And the, the first lesson in marketing and really pricing strategy was instead of trying to market all these things and try to call everybody over, I put up a sign and, and it was kind of our dollar center. This was back in 1993-ish. And so we're, it was the only place in the store that sold stuff for a dollar or less. And we would sell out every day and the lines were around the corner. So that was kind of my first introduction to marketing and how cool it was to, to know that as a marketer, uh, you can change something really quickly and see very immediate impact. And so flash forward to today, you know, you've, you've worked at some, uh, some amazing companies and, and brands like Pizza Hut and PepsiCo, and now you're the CMO of BSN Sports. For those of our listeners who don't know, what's BSN Sports? Yeah, it's a good question because candidly, until I started in 2017, I had never heard of the company either. BSN Sports is the largest supplier of team sports equipment and apparel in the country. So we do over a billion dollars in revenue. Uh, Our parent company, Varsity Brands, does over $2 billion in revenue. And we were acquired by Bain Capital back in July of 2018. And so really our job is to work with coaches and athletic directors and helping them build their, their sports programs. The majority of our business is done at the high school level, although we do sell into colleges and youth sports teams and select teams and corporate accounts, but basically anything you possibly need to equip an athletic program or a team, we sell. So Nike and Under Armour, huge customers of ours, or huge vendor of ours, and and basically we sell all of that fun stuff. 
And so what does it mean to be CMO? What, uh, how's your organization structured? How are you thinking about marketing? It's interesting because before I was hired, the company had never had a CMO. It started in 1972 and the founder of the company was selling nets and, and bleachers out of the back of his car. And so really for the first 46 or 47 years, the company's marketing strategy relied on sending paper catalogs. And so that's kind of what I, what I walked into back in 2017 is the, the CMO, really my job is to A, help our sales force, uh, over 1,100 people that are selling in schools every day, help them be more effective. I mean, high level, my job is to drive demand for the company, but we've done um, a lot to kind of re-architect our brand story, our mission, not only to help resonate more with customers, but also to help our employees uh, lead more fulfilled lives uh, in, in their careers here. And so it's a lot of brand storytelling. It's a lot of customer experience architecture, and it's a ton of digital marketing. So we've basically flipped the, the paper catalog on its head. We've gone digital, uh, and now we engage with coaches across all sport types upwards of eight times a month uh, with relevant information and content. I love it. What a... Uh... What a challenge, uh, what a change for you to go from, uh, you know, some of the biggest, most recognizable brands in the world to one that had such a large scope and scale, but maybe not the brand recognition is like the day-to-day kind of brand recognition and especially being so close to, to your sellers. How has that, that changed to be so close to the sales process? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's a lot of fun. Because unlike my background at, at PepsiCo and at Yum Brands with Pizza Hut, where I was marketing to large swaths of, of customer profiles, I now know every single customer in my entire addressable market, and that's coaches. So I know their name, their contact information. I know what sport they coach. I know what school they coach at, and I know their school colors. And so for a marketer, how incredible to, to basically know every single one of your customers. And really, it's just your job to figure out how to create messages that can connect and resonate with, with each and every one of them in a way that's personalized and customized to them and their school. And so that's been kind of the, the biggest unlock. And the coolest thing for me is that I now know the names of every single one of my customers where before I was really just marketing to, to large audiences. You know, it's also a funny industry in the sense, you know, I, I grew up playing sports and was, you know, was there from an athlete perspective. And the athletes, all you know is like the name brand, you know, Nike, you know, Under Armour, you know, you know, if if uh, if a neighboring high school has, has Nike or Under Armour or whatever it is or Adidas stuff. But you don't, you know, you don't see the back end stuff. You don't see, you know, the work that your coach is doing to make sure that you have the right equipment. You just know the equipment, right? You know what helmet fits or, or whatever. I'm curious, what are some of those coach pain points that you're trying to target? It's a really interesting question. And I spent the first six months on the job visiting with athletic directors, coaches, riding along with our sales pros, many of them who are former coaches or former athletes themselves. And it was really interesting. If you think about the coach and his or her role in American society, sometimes they're the most influential people in a kid's life. And so they're not doing what they're doing for a paycheck. They're doing it because they want to pay it forward. Likely they had a coach or a mentor that was important to them and they want to give back and help kids. 
And so there's a very emotional side to coaches that uh, and in some instances, they're, they're one of the most uh, emotional group of people I've ever met. They're, they're again, they're paying it forward. They make decisions uh, based on loyalty, uh, based on who they know. And so really, I had this insight that they're so emotional, yet the way we were going to market as a company was super transactional. It was, hey, coach, here's our catalog. It's a thousand pages. What can I get for you? And so really what we did is, is we, we thought about, okay, how do we go to market? How do we tell a story that's most relevant for helping a coach be a better coach? Coaches did not get into their line of work to buy equipment and apparel and design uniforms. They got in to help kids. And so our mission today is that every minute we save a coach off the field can be spent impacting lives on it. And so honestly, I don't necessarily care if the kid on the field knows who we are, our target customer is the coach. And so we are maniacally focused on saving them time with everything they have to do off the field so they can impact more lives on it and help more kids in the process. I love that approach. And I think it's really cool to hear about the transformation from you know dropping off catalogs to this more of a customer experience, customer journey type of uh a way of, of doing things. You know, I think it, we, we've seen that you, the Salesforce study uh, that came out said 61% of customers say if companies don't adapt to their needs, they feel like the brand doesn't care. Uh, you know, what, what a way to show that you don't care by dropping off a thousand page, you know, book and saying, pick out what you want, right? It's like, isn't that the salesperson job? Like you pick out what you think I should have, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And you just think about long-term sustainability and kind of what we sell as a company, it's all commodity-based. I mean, you can get Nike and Under Armour gear anywhere. You can get Wilson basketballs and Spalding baseballs anywhere. But really, it's the service and, and all the things we do above and beyond to help coaches save time that's, that's kind of going to take us to the next level as a company and grow sales significantly. And so that, that's all the stuff that, that we're focused on. Absolutely. I mean, I think any marketer that um, doesn't figure out what the, the customer's pain points are and try to solve them in a unique way uh, won't win long-term. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the old adage, there's no traffic on the extra mile, right? How, but how do you go about marketing the extra mile, especially like in this new world? Like, how are you thinking of a digital first strategy? It's interesting, and and I'll answer that question a little bit backwards. How do I market it? Well, the first thing I have to do to market it is to make sure the 1,100 sales professionals that are dealing with coaches day in and day out believe it and buy into it. And so that was kind of my first mission um, because those folks, and that's especially important as you think about B2B marketing, which is this is my first time as a a B2B marketer. My entire experience prior to this was, was all in B2C. If you don't have your sales force bought into your mission and the message that needs to get across to differentiate your brand in the marketplace, you're dead. And so I spent a ton of time talking to our sales force individually, to management, conferences, to get them to buy into it. And we created video that helped communicate that message. But first and foremost, they're, they're all bought in now that if they do their job the right way, they're going to help a coach and they're ultimately going to give that coach time back in his or her day so they can help kids. And so that, that's kind of number one. I think the, the second piece of your question, kind of digital first, well, now in this day and age, it's all digital first uh, because no one's in schools um, and no one 
uh, is able to go meet face to face. And so for us, digital first means just getting content uh, into the coach's hands at the right time when they need it. And so we have um, really taken a, a pretty formulaic selling calendar. We know exactly when, if you're a lacrosse coach, you're going to need to order a uniform so it gets there on time for the season. And so we've built a, a really detailed and robust national selling calendar that, that really has morphed into a pretty sophisticated email marketing strategy, which is where we spend the majority of our time. And you hear a lot of companies say that email marketing is dead. For us, uh, it, it's very much alive and well, and, and we're seeing in the data that it's driving uh, a lot of engagement and then ultimately conversion. So that's kind of where we're spending a lot of our time. We get to do it in really cool ways because, again, as I mentioned previously, I know the names, the sport types, the colors, the mascot of everyone we're, we're sending information to. And so nothing goes out, or I'll say 95% of what goes out is variableized in some way so that a coach can kind of visualize and see what they're buying and envision what the campus could look like before they have to, to make a purchase. Yeah, I, I want to go into the to the data piece in one second. But to take one step back, I'm curious about, you know, for your personas, my high school football coach versus my sister's uh, women's lacrosse coach were, were two very different people in general, or more my, my sister's soccer coach, two very different personalities, two different, very different people, obviously, and the sport and the equipment and all that stuff are different. But then there are certain things that that you share, right? There are certain types of equipment. I, I'm curious, like, how do you look at segmenting audiences based off of like the sport versus like geographical areas versus like equipment needs? Or how do you think about that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and candidly, the company was set up to sell football and basketball and baseball really well, but it, it didn't know the other sports well enough to go in and service them the right way. And so you, you think about um, the, the makeup of our sales professional, a lot of them played college athletics, either football, basketball, or baseball. Those are kind of the easiest sports to learn and for folks to sell. And, and candidly, they're the biggest money makers on campus, but we feel that every coach should be created equal. And so what we've done over the last three years is we've actually brought in sport experts pretty much in every sport that's offered on a high school campus. And we felt that if we didn't have that credibility and those experts helping us drive product strategy, marketing strategy, what's important to the coach, how to talk to that coach, that we, we wouldn't be able to win and really go deeper and penetrating campuses. And, and, and so that's what we've done. And so we, we've hired some uh, really accomplished professional athletes, former coaches at the professional level, and former athletes to come in across all these sports. So for example, Jessica Hardy, um, she won a, a gold medal in Olympic swimming for the U.S. back in the 2012 London Games. She is our swim brand ambassador and category expert. We've got Robert Hackett, who coached in the NBA for 20 years, uh, really running strength and speed programs. He was a, an Olympic trial sprinter at the University of Wisconsin. He's our track and field and strength brand ambassador. And so we've built up all this street cred with all of these sports. And it's not only helping us drive our product strategy, but it's helping us create content for these coaches that's relevant. And so we're hosting uh, webinars, both digital and in person. And so that's doing a lot to drive customer engagement. So 
long-winded way of me saying, if you don't have people that are truly credible to the sport or truly credible to whatever product you're pitching, you're probably going to have a tough time creating content that resonates with that customer. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I think it's so interesting to hear that. And it's one of the classic, like, you know, rules of of selling, right? Is like the, who's the easiest person to sell to? The person who already is a customer, right? If you just need to walk down the hallway and go to the, to the swim coach, say, Hey, we already do business with, you know, the, the baseball team and the, and the women's lacrosse team, like maybe you should, you should buy from us too. Right. I mean, I'd imagine that, that those sort of opportunities are, were kind of just sitting there but if you don't have any positioning for it, if you don't have any marketing materials for it, and your sellers aren't equipped with the right market, uh, you know, content or copy or whatever, it, it's you're actually going to do the opposite. You're going to alienate those folks and be like, eh, "You actually don't, you don't really care about us or or our students or whatever." Yeah, I mean, and, and if you're looking for a job and want to moonlight as a, a sales consultant for us, let me know because you would think. <laughs> It's easy for everyone just to go into that swim coach's office. It is incredibly difficult to get people to go do that if they don't have complete confidence in what they're selling. And so that's part of my job running marketing is not only the messaging direct to the customer, but it's also what tools can I create to make our sales pros more comfortable selling more sports. So I partner with our chief revenue officer, with our training team, and we just come up with different ways to make them feel comfortable knowing that it's okay to not have all the answers or know exactly how to fit a swimmer into a $500 tech suit, but they can ask the right questions and then they can defer all the technical questions to the experts um, in our support staff back in Dallas. And so that's what we're trying to do to get every one of our sales professionals to go into every coach's office and feel comfortable doing it. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad you brought up the piece about the ambassadors. Um, you know, we talk about this a lot with software company with whether it's the sales engineers or how marketing is involved in sales enablement. But at the end of the day, like you have to have some sort of expertise that you can rely on to be able to say like, hey, I don't have all the answers, but our company has all the answers. You know what I mean? Like we're, and if we don't, we're going to go run it down and, and find it for you. But if your marketing copy is is such that you, you know, are saying you have the answers and you don't, then you have misalignment. Yeah, that's exactly right. We kind of piloted this program in the sport of lacrosse five years ago. And we, we hired a guy uh, who's now uh, one of our vice presidents, super talented. He played uh, D3 college lacrosse, and he worked at a lacrosse specialty retailer in upstate New York. And really, the hypothesis was, can we hire one person in a company this big that could help us grow our lacrosse business? And the answer was absolutely yes. Um, the, the lacrosse business went from about $2 million a year to $25 million a year in only a few years. And it was really all because one person had that expertise, was able to hire people that understood lacrosse. Our first brand ambassador was a guy named Joel White, who played on the U.S. national team, won a gold medal in the the U.S., uh, or I'm sorry, in the lacrosse world championships a year and a half ago, and and still plays professional lacrosse. He was an All-American at Syracuse. And just those two guys were able to grow a business within a billion-dollar business exponentially. So I would just say uh, it can be intimidating sometimes to get into new lines of businesses, but even one person can make a world of difference in a really big company if they know what they're talking about. 
So how do you support those type of folks? How do you accelerate their work? Because like that seems like one of those things that you can put paid ad behind, you can put, you know, events behind, uh, event dollars behind, you know, meeting those folks and talking to them. You can do workshops, you can do content, you can do a video series. Like there's so many things that you can do to accelerate those ambassadors' uh, impact. How do you think about those things? Yeah, so... Again, fortunately, in our business being B2B, the, the most value those ambassadors are going to drive is educating and training the sales professionals. They, so they spend a lot of time internally getting on the phone with coaches and really helping them as the training arm because an army of 1,100 selling lacrosse is going to be a lot more powerful than an army of one. So that, that's kind of where it starts. Pre-COVID, we would um, have our brand ambassadors travel around the country and execute uh, 40 to 50 free coaches clinics. So these would be clinics that were either at high schools or local colleges. Joel would go around the country and bring in 100 lacrosse coaches from the surrounding area. He would do a whole bunch of drill, instructional training, uh, talk to the coaches. And uh, we saw dramatic sales increases in lacrosse with all of those attendees. And so now we're doing live webinars where we're getting upwards of a thousand coaches instead of a hundred each time that we have one of these things. And we're seeing massive engagement from the coaching community. We've had over 60,000 coaches register for our clinic since we started these um, back in the beginning of April. And I think it'll probably be a strategy that we sustain even when things get back to normal, just because we can reach so many more folks. And so I think for us, the lesson was being forced to, to stop these in-person events. I mean, what, what kind of content scenarios can you create that can drum up real interest from your, your target audience? And so that's what we've done with lacrosse. And we've done that across all our sports. You mentioned marketing automation, uh, leveraging email. I'd imagine you have tons of different lists now, tons of different personas. You know, you got all of your... Uh, all of your different coaching segments that you're trying to talk to. It seems like it could be a ton of work. How do, you, how do you try to figure out how to get the right message in front of them? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the first thing we did was hire some really talented digital and email marketers. And so building the team was, was the most important kind of first step to transforming the way we, we go to market digitally. I think second is just really understanding exactly when customers across all sport types needed to buy stuff in order for it to make it on time in time for their season. And so the supply chain in our industry uh, is really challenged. Um, we, we rely on a lot of third parties to customize and decorate our apparel uniforms. And so we got to get out ahead of it. And so we spent over a year looking at, at three years of purchase data and we basically mapped out exactly when we needed to sell each of our products in order to give coaches enough time to, to buy it and have it delivered. And so the selling cycle for a sport isn't just like a month or two before the season starts. I mean, if you want custom uniforms, you've got to be six to nine months ahead of that. And so we developed these, these selling calendars for every one of our sports. And basically that's what drives the bulk of our promotional email marketing. And it's really paid off for us. And so really understanding your selling cycle, understanding selling seasons, uh, that's how we drive 
the bulk of our content creation to make sure that we're in front of the coach uh, exactly when they need to order. Takes the guesswork out for them. They don't have to think about it. Again, it saves them time, which is delivering on our mission. You talked data a little bit. I'm curious, what was kind of like the the data footprint, you know, before you joined to what it looks like now? Yeah. I mean, the the cool part about this business specifically is that all the data was there. We just didn't have a lot of folks asking um, the right questions from the data that would inform strategy and marketing decisions. And so one example was something we were talking about a little bit earlier. We've got over 5,500 what we call all school deals. That's where we go into an athletic director and we basically sign a deal where they can get rebates for using us for every one of their sports. And so even within those deals, what we learned is that on average, we were only servicing about six sports per school. Well, for schools that have athletic programs, which is about 20,000 high schools across the country, there's between 15 and 19 average sports on campus. We were only getting to six. And so then what we did is we drilled a layer deeper, and now we're able to identify, based on a a data dashboard that, that the whole company has access to, every single school has every sport represented And we've got a green if we're selling kind of full opportunity to that sport, yellow if we're selling just a little bit, but we know there's more opportunity, and then red if we're selling zero. And so my entire marketing attack strategy goes down to the school and sport level based on that data that we were able to take and put it into a digestible format. So just one example of the way that we're specifically leveraging all the the customer data that comes in to to drive marketing strategy. Sounds like you're working on a lot of personalization, obviously data being key to that. How do you look at personalization? I mean, I think it's table stakes today, to be honest. I think that uh, now more than ever before, people just expect personalized experiences, especially personalized content. I've just seen marketers uh, as a consumer on Instagram get so much better at it. I, I bought a a pair of shorts on Instagram. And now I feel like every piece of clothing that they serve up to me is relevant to me. And so we're trying to do uh, that same thing. We're not only personalizing based on the content that we're sending and when we're sending it, we're also personalizing based on their school. In our business, we don't inventory any decorated merchandise. We're not like fanatics that will stock um, a million Alabama football t-shirts and hope to sell them, we are not making or decorating any high school apparel until it's ordered. And so that's really hard from from an e-commerce perspective and a marketing perspective. What we were doing was basically just showing them uh, a Nike Legend t-shirt, and then they'd have to kind of imagine what their, their logo would look like on it. Or we would have the logo separate in like a box, old school style, and we'd say, this is going to go on the front of the shirt. We've created a whole bunch of technology to be able to, in seconds, variableize all of the content and all of the product that we send out to coaches so they know exactly what they're buying. Sounds crazy um, that a company wouldn't have that capability, but virtually no one else in our space does. We're dealing with a lot of mom and pop competitors. And so really, um, that level of personalization has been really important for driving enhanced uh, engagement rates with our our marketing collateral and, and our email campaigns. 
Yeah, let me tell you, as someone who recently uh, bought swag, uh, working with the distributor to kind of getting those mock-ups and things like that is uh, is not the quickest quickest process, that's for sure. It, it's awful and, and almost embarrassing, to be honest. And so our head of innovation um, is a really talented guy, and he's building all of these uh, art-based databases uh, to, to variabilize pretty much everything we do. And so I think the future for us is going to be a lot of coach do-it-yourself, being able to design things on their own time, and all of it will be uh, personalized to, to their school um, and their colors and their mascots. Have you fixed the football helmet stickers that are like, hey, they give you the sticker and you have to put it on yourself? Because I was always horrible at that. And then mine had all sorts of like lines through it and everything is, is terrible. Yes. You know, that's not on my roadmap, Ian. Um, <laughs> but uh, we, we can certainly help train you to do it better if, if you pick up the helmet again one day. Yeah, I know. If, I, if I'm picking up a helmet, there's, uh, there's, <laughs> there's probably a lot of problems going on. Uh, I'll just do the seven on sevens. Um, you know, speaking of seven on sevens, I, you know, specifically high school sports, you have all the, you have kind of like the elite camps, the elite 11s, they have, uh, you know, all sorts of things like that, that are, that are going on. You have all sorts of, you know, coaching clinics and different things. You mentioned that, that you all, uh, you know, put on some of those sort of things. It seems like there's a lot of stuff that you could be sponsoring at any given time, that there's a lot of places that, you know, coaches are always looking for, what's new, what's working. They're looking at their peers to see what they're doing. And I'm curious, like, how do you kind of tap into that? And then also, like, are you marketing the kind of customer success side of things, marketing through the sale to say like, hey, you know, you could be just like this person and this is how, you know, this is how their organization looks after working with us for a year. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I mean, on the sponsorship front, it's hard for me to justify and I get hit up a lot for sponsorships because people think we're a sports company and that we, we market to the end athletes and sponsor this tournament, sponsor this conference. Um, and so we get hit up a lot. But at the end of the day, I, I think a sponsorship is only as effective as the number of people in your target set that you're going to reach and influence. And so going to market at a big basketball tournament doesn't make sense for me because 98% of the people that are going to be there are people that I don't really care if they know our brand or not. I only care about the coach. And so there's 15 people there. And so why would I go spend a lot of money to reach 15 people? And so from a sponsorship perspective, we've been really focused on organizations and outlets that, that are maniacally focused on reaching the coach. So coaches, conferences, we've got coach AD newsletters where we've done some advertising. So, so we're we're starting to, um, to, to think about key strategic partnerships, other organizations that are, that are trying to hit the same audience and, and how do we go at it together for, for more joint success. So that's on the, um, the, the sponsorship side, just kind of how we're attacking it. Yeah. And then, and then about marketing through the sale, that customer life cycle marketing, the customer success marketing side of things. Yeah, it, it's a really good, good question. We haven't completely cracked the code on that yet. What we hope happens, because to your point, coaches do talk, very small circles. And so the thing I've learned about coaches is they never want to be one-upped. 
And so the best way that I can get coaches talking about our brand is to provide a really great experience or provide a really great product to one coach in a district. And then the team shows up in really cool gear. And then they're pissed because they don't have that cool gear. And they ask the coach, where'd you get that stuff? And they say, BSN Sports. That's like nirvana for me as a marketer. How do we craft experiences that the coach is going to talk about? No different than, than any other brand on the planet, to be honest. I mean, you want to, you want to craft share-worthy experiences and then word of mouth is your best, best form of marketing. It certainly is the best form of marketing in the food business um, from Frito-Lay and, and from, from PepsiCo. And so we tried to architect those experiences and product. We're doing the same thing um, with, with our product. And so what, what I've learned in talking to a lot of athletic directors, a lot of coaches, they all want their kids to feel like they're part of a D1 program even if they're at a 150 person high school. And so that's the cool part of the experience that we've architected and the technology that we've built is now we have the ability via our great relationships with Nike and Under Armour to sell retail like designs uh, that kids would see on the sideline on Sundays uh, and on Saturdays. And so what, what we're trying to do is, is we're basically trying to help coaches create that, that environment, that feeling of a Division I college athletic program at every high school in America. And if we can do that well, coaches will talk about us without us asking them to. You mentioned the food brands, obviously totally different type of marketing. But, you know, we, we talk all the time on the show about how marketing is meant to be remarkable, right? That means you have to tell somebody about it. And you're exactly right that where you want to live is on those coach text message chains, those email chains that they're sharing best ideas and best practices, you know, for, for food, a little different, but like you said, similar. I'm curious, do you have any, uh, do you have any favorite campaigns from your days at, uh, at Pizza Hut or, or, uh, or PepsiCo? Yeah, I think my favorite was a campaign that, that I worked on when I was running Doritos. Um, and this was back in 2012. We, came out with a chip that was almost twice the size um, and thickness and crunch of a regular Dorito. It was called Doritos Jacked. And so in partnership with, with our agency, could be Silverstein, uh, we had the idea that a chip this big deserves a, a vending machine that can hold it. And so we kind of thought about, okay, if we were going to go build a giant vending machine, what venue would you do it at? that had built-in kind of media exposure. And, and so we chose South by Southwest. We built a six-story vending machine that housed Doritos Jacked, and we had Snoop Dogg play inside of the vending machine. And so literally, we only had 250 people at this activation, but we got over a billion earned media impressions in three days um, because so many people on the ground were talking about it, and, and you had some at the time some of the most influential um, digital influencers attend. And so for me, it was an awesome experience um, in this notion that, that I like to say brands need to do as much as they say. And so we couldn't just tell people that the chip was bigger. We had to go out and, and prove to people in an outlandish way that the chip really was bigger than a normal Dorito. And so it was a ton of fun and, and it was actually the, the single biggest new chip launch um, in Doritos history outside of Cool Ranch. So uh, it was a, a fun way to accelerate the launch of that brand and have some fun and show people that, um, that, that we've kind of put our money where our mouth was. Anytime you're, you're uh, comparing it to Cool Ranch, that's, 
That's so, I mean, that's a revolutionary chip. That's true. <laughs> Consistently at the top rankings of best chip. Yeah, I'm a nacho cheese guy, but but yes. So I'm I'm curious, you know, in those type of positions, when you're working with those quote unquote mega budgets, running, you know, tons of TV, tons of uh, of large scale premium TV spots. What was kind of the mindset like for uh, for those uh, those campaign launches, those new product releases? Yeah, I mean it, it's it's tough because you look for uh, the ultimate metric to define success and kind of make decisions in in a, in a way that's relying on historical data to tell you whether or not it's a good idea. Our our CMO at the time, Ann McCurgy, so smart, uh, and she was willing to take risks. And this was really at the forefront of, of experiential marketing. I mean, a lot of brands were still putting the majority um, of their marketing budgets into traditional media. And really, after just sitting down, talking about the level uh, of influencers that were on the ground at South by Southwest, we kind of convinced the, each other that it was a, a good risk to take and, and it really paid off. The, the way that marketing has evolved, kind of going and, and putting a whole bunch of stuff on TV really isn't a viable option uh, and strategy for a CMO today. So you got to figure out uh, exactly where you're going to go hunt to tell stories the right way. I was always very intrigued with the experiential marketing trend in our industry uh, over the last five or six years. I think COVID has completely reinvented that experiential strategy to, to be really digital or how your product is delivered to somebody's home. And so I'm curious to see if brands go back to in-person experiential marketing or not. But this notion of experience culture, I think, is here to stay. And so for me, it's less about kind of the, the, the message that you can put on TV and more about how you architect um, a customer experience that's memorable and sustainable, because I think that'll, that'll trump a TV ad any day of the week. Did you make any, uh, any big Super Bowl ads? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I spent three years uh, helping manage what was known as Crash the Super Bowl. So for 10 years, Dorito was uh, the first brand to put a consumer-generated ad on the Super Bowl. And so I didn't physically make any ads for the Super Bowl, but my consumers did. And and we consistently would score in, in the top five with ads at some, some stages would, uh, would only cost 500 bucks to make. So it was a really, really neat program to be a part of. It was so incredible to help an aspiring filmmaker get the, the, the platform like the Super Bowl uh, to expose the world to their work. A lot of those folks have gone on to produce movies, really well-known commercial directors. And so it was a really rewarding program. But, uh, but the long answer is no. Uh, I didn't produce the Super Bowl ads, just more the the program that generated the Super Bowl ads. Yeah. And so, well, you know, when, when you say program, like what, what goes into that? So, I mean, again, our audience was, um, was filmmakers. We had thousands and thousands of ads that were submitted. And so uh, the first program was making sure that the, the filmmaking community uh, knew about it year after year. How do you keep it fresh? How do you get people to continue to enter? Well, you, you kind of one-up yourself on the grand prize. So not only a million-dollar cash prize if you scored number one on the ad meter, uh, but we brought in Michael Bay one year. 
And so uh, the winner of the contest, uh, regardless of whether or not they won the money, uh, would get an apprenticeship on one of Michael Bay's movie sets. We partnered with Stan Lee, fortunately, uh, before he passed and, and did some really cool things with Marvel. He actually came to the game with us, uh, amazing guy. And so really the, the program was about exposing the promotion to the right audience, making it fun with a new hook. And then we just spent uh, a lot of time watching every single ad that came in. And it was probably the most stressful time as a marketer on the brand because you knew you had already bought the inventory uh, and you needed to, to pray that someone submitted an ad that, that you thought was Super Bowl worthy. The fans never let us down. We always had good content. That's pretty amazing. What about some of, uh, some of the work with, uh, with Pizza Hut on the similar type of campaigns? Yeah. You know, the, the Pizza Hut experience, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about marketing, uh, what's important to consumers and, and not getting ahead of your skis. And so a lot of my, my tenure at Pizza Hut was just trying to figure out how to contemporize the brand. The brand had such a storied history. So many people across America grew up eating in Pizza Hut Dine and restaurants. And so I'd say the the, the largest campaign that I worked on, candidly, was the biggest failure, and that was trying to completely contemporize the, the menu. This was back in 2016. And so really what we tried to do is, is we tried to age down the brand, knowing that um, younger consumers were going to drive pizza consumption for, for our future. We brought in a whole bunch of ingredients, personalization, uh, taking just a lot of trends in food and uh, uh, trends in, in online ordering. And we put all this new stuff on the menu and, and we marketed it. And basically um, it, it wasn't a success. We got a lot of new trial uh, with a younger audience, but at the end of the day, uh, Pepidou pizza with sausage and a, a balsamic glaze uh, drizzle wasn't gonna trump someone just wanting a, uh, a pepperoni pizza or a, a meat lover's pizza. And so, it was just a, a really good lesson for me that even though your brand might have aspirations to go to a different customer, you can never alienate your base and you got to make sure you do it in an authentic, incredible way. So the brand has street cred and, and a reason for being to, uh, to play there. Any other uh, final thoughts on, on lessons from, uh, from time in, uh, you know, selling those type of products and switching over to, to B2B? Any, any things that you take with you? The levers that a CMO has, to, uh, has at his or her disposal to pull today to drive demand, very different. I think that uh, you read and you hear all about how CMOs have to be more data-centric than ever. And I agree, it's the only way you're going to personalize your experience. And the one lesson that, that I've taken with me whether you're on a huge brand with a, a $200 million budget or whether you're like me who has virtually no marketing budget, you got to figure out a way to, to make your customer and your consumer uh, understand your brand um, and, and pine for your brand, the importance of storytelling. And I think that's going to be a timeless need that good CMOs uh, will continue to carry forward. For me, the, the story... Uh, was all about humanizing um, and all around creating that that kind of emotive why. I'm a huge fan of of Simon Sinek's Golden Circles. I think it's probably the the easiest to understand marketing framework ever. And so that's exactly what we did. We built a story around our why, 
which was helping coaches. And then everything we do now is maniacally focused on helping that coach and saving that coach time. And we created really cool videos and we created stories um, that, that really talked about why our brand was different than all the other people that sell sporting goods. And so I guess just a, a parting shot, Ian, I still think that even though we've moved into this data-centric digital world, as CMOs, if you can't tell a really good story, you're probably not going to be in your role too long. All right, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. They're the best. And they've been with us for over 200 episodes. We love them. Check them out. Salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round questions. Jared, are you ready? Let's do it. Number one, do you have a favorite book or podcast or TV show you've been binging recently? A show I've binged most recently is probably most relevant to my career. Um, it's uh, Last Chance You on Netflix um, profiled a junior college team. Laney College, down the street. La- Laney College, down the street. They're actually a big BSN customer. So you'll see our logo um, on the show. Now you're going to look for it. Yeah, no kidding. I'll drive by. It's like a half mile from my house. Yeah, so Co- Coach Beam is actually going to do a podcast for us next week. Oh, there you and, go. and so um, that's one that that's just a lot of fun. I just I love seeing the the grit and the the heart wrenching stories of of kids trying to make it. And as far as books, um, I'm a big fan of, of nonfiction uh, that reads like fiction. Uh, read an incredible story called American Kingpin about a, a kid from Austin who started um, the Amazon of drugs on the dark web. So that was the, my most recent read that, that took a few days. Chew Dog, still probably my favorite book of all time, just because I'm a, a Nike brand fanatic. Um, so that's another one that, uh, that's on the shelf front and center. You mentioned that you've been spending, uh, spent a bunch of the summer in Breckenridge. What was your favorite thing that you did uh, up in Breck? I have to say my favorite activity was um, an unguided ATV experience. And so we, we rented um, an ATV. I've got six people in my family. So we, we found the, the one in Colorado that could fit all six of us. And we literally just got lost in the mountains for about eight hours. Uh, so many incredible things to do in Colorado. I really miss the, the diversity of the lifestyle there um, as opposed to being landlocked in Dallas, uh, but a lot of good stuff. That's probably a highlight. What would be your best advice for a first-time CMO? Kind of my first advice, piece of advice for first-time CMO, it's really applicable to pretty much any job function. You got to listen. Uh, the, the downfall I see with a, a lot of new folks that, that come into my organization or just other organizations is they, they try to prove themselves too quickly. I know that, that everyone's under pressure, especially the CMO, to drive immediate accretive value to, to an organization. And so uh, you definitely don't have to be the smartest person in the room overnight. You don't have to change things or come in and uh, completely switch up a, a go-to-market strategy or a brand strategy because you feel like you have to make a difference. You just really need to listen and understand. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? What did it feel like when the Red Sox won their first World Series in 89 years? <laughs> yeah, what did it feel like? 
It was absolutely incredible. I, I actually felt like I was on the team. Um, you know, you, you grow up in Boston and the Yankees would beat us year after year. And, and honestly, in 2004, uh, when that happened, um, it was uh, arguably one of the coolest uh, days and experiences of my life. It's actually funny. We did a rehearsal wedding video um, before my wedding 14 years ago. And uh, the, the video jokingly said, um, the greatest day of Jared's life. And everyone thought it was going to be me meeting Julie. Uh, and it was actually the, the final out of the Red Sox World Series with a little caption, tomorrow will be cool too. Um, so it was a, a really cool day for, uh, for me as a sports fan, that's for sure. Both of our uh, producers are uh, not the biggest Red Sox fans in the world. Uh, and uh, they're cracking up in the background somewhere. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, not sorry. They got us for for so many years. It was it was our turn to have a little bit of fun. Indeed. Well, that's it. That's all we got, Jared. Appreciate you coming on the show. Any final thoughts? I don't think so. Um, I appreciate you having me on. This was fun. Yeah, it's been awesome having you. And uh, if you're a coach or you know a coach, check out BSN Sports. Thanks again, Jared. Thank you, Ian. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.